0: Thank you, Becky. I want to welcome everyone back after our break for the holidays. It's good to see everybody and get back into our study. My name is Charlotte Carter. I started attending Habits in 2006 in the evening. When I retired in 2011, I attended in the daytime and became a leader. I was a teacher. I taught third grade for 40 years. Teaching was rather hectic, and I thought I wouldn't be able to keep up on my schoolwork and attend Bible study. But when my dad passed away in February of 2006, it gave me a new perspective on things, and I thought, Charlotte, you need to be attending Habits of the Heart, and I've attended ever since. This is the first time that I have given a lecture. When I sat down to start working on it, I guess I thought that the words would magically appear for me. When they didn't, yeah, I thought, how am I going to approach this? So for a lot of the lecture, I would pretend like I was teaching. I'd say the information aloud, and then quickly I'd write those thoughts down before I forgot it, and then I'd rework it later, what I'd written. It was a challenge for me to write down every word that I was going to say. It was just something I wasn't used to doing. So hopefully things will go well. Let's pray, and we'll ask the Lord's blessing on our time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Hebrews and for your plan of salvation. We pray that during our time together, we will see clearly how the tabernacle points to Christ, and we will have a better understanding of who Jesus is and what his life did for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're taking a look at lesson 10 this week. The title is The Earthly Sanctuary, which was the tabernacle. So we might ask, what was the purpose of the tabernacle? The tabernacle was the place where God would dwell with his people. Here's the picture of the tabernacle with the Israelites encamped around it. You know, often I think about the reality of things. So I think about what an amazing sight it must have been to have come up over a mountain and to have seen the Israelites, over a million people, camped with the tabernacle in the center and the tribes around it. After the Israelites were delivered from slavery in Egypt, they traveled to Mount Sinai, Moses received the Ten Commandments from God, and the tabernacle was built When we think of the Exodus, we tend to focus on the Israelites leaving Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea. But not only were they delivered from the bondage of slavery, they were redeemed so that God could dwell among his people. That was the climax of the Exodus. Exodus 25 says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Under the Old Covenant, the tabernacle was the place where God made Himself accessible to the Israelites. We know that God is omnipresent, everywhere present, so His presence was not limited to the tabernacle, but His presence could be experienced there like no other place. God gave instructions for building the tabernacle. Many times, Moses was reminded to construct the tabernacle according to the pattern that God showed him. Exodus 25 says, And see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain. We have a God who communicates and wants to be with us. It's amazing to think that the God of heaven and earth wants fellowship with his people. In the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect, before sin entered the world. God had fellowship with Adam and Eve. His word was at the center of their lives. Creation flourished. There was peace. Adam and Eve had direct access to God. All of the Bible is about returning to a Garden of Eden type of existence. In Revelation, it is called the new heaven and the new earth, eternal dwelling with God in a perfected state. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So in between these two times, we have how God dwells and communicates with man. The tabernacle and all of the rituals portray how the Israelites were to approach God. The tabernacle also points to Christ. It is through his death that we now have direct access to God. So the tabernacle is all about being the place where God dwells with his people and how the people are going to approach a holy God. It is a symbol of heaven, the true place where God lives. Hebrews 8, 5 tells us that the tabernacle was a copy and shadow of what was in heaven. Let's look at the tabernacle. Here we see another artist's rendition of it, You can see the outer courtyard and the tabernacle itself. The word tabernacle usually refers to just the tent, but sometimes it includes the courtyard. The courtyard was 150 feet long on the north and south sides. This is the length of half of a football field. It was 75 feet on the east and west sides. The entrance of the courtyard was on the east, and the entrance to the tabernacle was on the east. The entrance to the Garden of Eden was on the east. When you would enter the courtyard, you would come first to the bronze altar and basin or laver, which we'll talk about later, and then to the tabernacle or tent itself. The tabernacle was 45 feet long, 15 feet wide, 15 feet high. It was covered with curtains made of goat hair to provide a protective covering. There were two other layers to ensure weatherproofing, one of goat skin and one of ram skin, hung with the hair on the outside to repel rain. It was a tent that could be moved, it could be taken apart and put back together again. After the tabernacle was completed, Exodus 40 34 to 38 tells how God's presence filled the tabernacle and how the Israelites would know God was guiding them because they could see the cloud and the pillar of fire. It reads, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in it by night, in the sight of all of the house of Israel throughout their journeys. Let's take a look at the next picture, which gives us a view of the interior of the tent. You see the veil up front at the entrance, which is similar to the veil in the back. When we are talking about the veil, we're referring to the veil in the back that divides the tabernacle into two rooms. We'll start at the innermost part of the tabernacle and move outward. A veil divided the tabernacle into two rooms, the most holy place and the holy place, The veil was made of blue, purple, and scarlet linen. It was embroidered with cherubim, who were symbolic guardians of the sanctuary. The inner room was called the Most Holy Place, the place where God would meet with man. The location of the veil made the Most Holy Place a perfect cube of 15 feet. Next, we have a picture of the Ark of the Covenant The Ark of the Covenant was the only piece of furniture in the Most Holy Place. The Ark was a box made of acacia wood. It was overlaid inside and out with pure gold. It was approximately three and three-fourths feet long and and two-and-a-fourth feet wide and high. God appeared in a cloud above the lid of the Ark. Later, the Ark was referred to as God's footstool. The lid of the Ark sometimes called the mercy seat, was made of pure gold. It's the location where mercy was found, the forgiveness of sins. God was enthroned above the ark between the two-winged cherubim made of beaten gold. Under his feet was the law. The law condemns people because no one can keep it. But God showed his mercy in the forgiveness of sins. One of the most beautiful verses in Hebrews is Hebrews 4.16 that tells us when we approach God, we find mercy and grace. It reads, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The mercy seat is symbolic of the divine throne. Inside the ark were the Ten Commandments written on two tablets of stone. In or near the ark was a jar of manna miraculously preserved and Aaron's rod that budded which affirmed God's selection of Aaron as high priest there was also a copy of the law from our study of Deuteronomy last year we read in Deuteronomy 31:25 to, to 26 Moses commanded the Levites who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord Take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. The Ark symbolized God's relationship with His people, a relationship based on a covenant. Therefore, it was called the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Testimony. The tabernacle was in the center of the Israelite camp, and at the center of the Israelites' lives was to be God's word. Remember one of our memory verses last year taken from Deuteronomy 6? And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. God speaks to us through his word and he wants it to be the center of our lives. The most holy place could only be entered into once a year, and that was by the high priest on the Day of Atonement. At that time, he sprinkled blood on the mercy seat for the sins of the nation of Israel. He sprinkled the blood and left. He did not stay there. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur on the Jewish calendar, was once a year. It was a time for a sacrifice for any sin that might not have been acknowledged during the year. Even though the Israelites were repeatedly giving sacrifices, there may have been some sin remain that needed to be atoned for. At one point during the day, the high priest would put the sins of the people onto a goat in a symbolic way. He would lay his hands on the head of the goat and confess the sins of Israel. Then the goat was let go into the wilderness, symbolically carrying away their sins. The goat was a scapegoat, if you will. No one but the high priest could enter the most holy place, and then only once a year. A rope was tied around his ankle so that if he died while there, he could be pulled out because no one could go in to get him. As a review, the inner room of the tabernacle was called the most holy place, the only piece of furniture in the room was the Ark of the Covenant. In the Ark were the Ten Commandments. God appeared in a cloud above the mercy seat of the Ark. In Exodus 25, God promised, There I will meet with you. Because of the veil, there was no direct access to God. The outer room of the tabernacle was called the Holy Place. It was twice as big as the Most Holy Place, which made it 30 feet by 15 feet. Only the priests were allowed in the area. It had three pieces of furniture. They were the table of the Bread of the Presence, the lampstand, and the altar of incense. Let's take a look at the table of the Bread of the Presence. The table was made of acacia wood and overlaid with gold. It was three feet long, one and a half feet wide, and two and a fourth feet high and stood on the north side of the holy place facing the lampstand. There was a rim that ran around the top of the table to keep the articles from falling off. The word presence in the table of the bread of the presence refers to God's presence. It's about eating and sharing a meal in God's presence. There were 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel, There were fresh loaves every Sabbath, which had been prepared overnight by the Levites. The bread was eaten only by the priests who represented the people and was eaten only in the sanctuary. The table of the bread of the presence showed God's providing for Israel. The people expressed their thankfulness by giving the loaves of bread as a food offering to God. The table of the bread of the presence is symbolic of Christ as the bread of life. He is the bread that came down from heaven. He is the one who sustains believers. John 6, 35 reads, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now let's take a look at the lampstand. It provided light in the holy place. The lampstand was placed on the south side of the holy place. It was hammered out of one piece of pure gold. The lampstand reminds us of a tree with a trunk and three branches on each side. It reflects back to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden and reflects forward to the tree of life in the new heaven and the new earth. The dimensions are not given in the Bible but Jewish tradition has it at 5 feet high and three and a half feet wide. It was decorated with almond flowers. The six branches and the central shaft end in containers for the oil called lamps. These lamps held a little more than a cup of oil. The oil had to be pure or clear. Only the best quality of olives were used. They had to be cleaned from leaves, twigs, and dust. The olives were beaten, not crushed in oil presses. By beating, you get the finest quality and white color. Careful attention was given to the lamps so they would not grow dim and defile the sanctuary with carbon deposits, and they burned continuously. The lampstand symbolizes Christ as the light of the world. John 8, 12 reads, Again Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The altar of incense was placed in the center of the holy place between the lampstand and the bread of the presence in front of the inner veil. It was in the center opposite the Ark of the Covenant, just outside the veil. The altar of incense was a square box, 18 inches by 18 inches and three feet high. It was made of acacia wood, completely overlaid with gold. It was used for burning incense in the morning and evening, which gave a pleasant scent to the air. The smoke from the burning of the incense rose as a pleasing aroma to God. It was very closely associated with the most holy place. The incense rose from the altar and went behind the veil into the most holy place. This symbolized the prayers of the godly. It also symbolizes Christ as our intercessor through whom our prayers ascend to God. So in review, the holy place had three pieces of furniture, the table of the bread of the presence, the lampstand, and the altar of incense. Only the priest who represented the people or allowed in the holy place. The whole tabernacle was moved as God guided them on their journeys. There were rings on the furniture where they inserted poles and then carried each piece. Very specific directions were given on how the furniture was to be wrapped and who was to carry it. For example, Numbers 4, 5 to 6 tells about carrying the Ark of the Covenant. It reads, When the camp is set out, Aaron and his sons shall go in and take down the veil of the screen and cover the Ark of the Testimony with it. Then they shall put on it a covering of goat skin and spread on top of that a cloth all of blue and shall put in its poles. It goes on to tell about the other objects and then verse 15 reads, And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary, and all the furnishings of the sanctuary. As the camp sets out, after that, the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these, but they must not touch the holy things, lest they die. These are the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Kohath are to carry. In Exodus, we're given all the dimensions and all the materials used in building the tabernacle. We read such information as, Concerning the framework, each upright pole stood in a silver socket, curtains linked together with 50 golden clasps, curtains linked together by bronze clasps, screen hung from golden hooks, posts of acacia wood resting in bronze sockets, and many, many more details. Some have suggested that the building of the tabernacle would have required one ton of gold, over three tons of silver, and about two and a half tons of bronze. Since the Israelites were camped in the desert, do you wonder how they happened to have all this gold, silver, and bronze? They plundered from the Egyptians when they left in the Exodus. The plagues in Egypt showed God's power and the Egyptians were ready to do anything to get rid of the Israelites. Exodus 25, or Exodus, excuse me, Exodus 12, 35 to 36 reads, the people of Israel had done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And so they left them, let them have what they ask. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. So the Egyptians willingly gave the Israelites their jewelry, articles of gold, silver, and clothing. God made this promise to Moses at the burning bush when he called Moses to be the leader of the Exodus. Exodus 321 to 22 reads, And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians." It also fulfills God's promise to Abram, Abraham in Genesis 15, 13 to 14, about the captivity of Abraham's descendants. It reads, then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. We can say the Israelites received wages for their 400 years of slavery in Egypt. So definitely the tabernacle was a royal tent. The value of these medals showed the majesty of God who was dwelling among his people. The tabernacle showed that God is willing to meet with humans on earth. It foreshadows Jesus coming to earth. When Jesus was born, we are told his name meant God with us. Jesus is God. When Jesus was on earth, it was God walking and talking with men. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt there is from the Greek word for tabernacle. God tabernacled among us. The tabernacle is a symbol of heaven, which is the true dwelling place of God. Now let's look at the outer courtyard. Moving out from the tabernacle was the bronze basin, or laver, located halfway between the tabernacle and the bronze altar. The basin was where the priests washed after offering sacrifices and where they washed before entering the tabernacle itself. To minister in God's presence, they performed this purification ritual. Entering God's presence required purity. Their constant washing demonstrated how they could not overcome the defilement of sin. The basin set on the top of a bronze pedestal. Exodus 38.8 tells us that the bronze came from the mirrors of the women. It reads, Moreover, he made the laver of bronze with its base of bronze from the mirrors of the serving women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. The basin is symbolic of Christ cleansing the believer from sin. Next, we have the altar of burnt offering. This is where the animals were sacrificed. Therefore, it would have been a very noisy, noisy, and bloody scene with blood and dirt on the priest's garments. The whole ritual demonstrated the defilement and cost of sin. Leviticus 1 tells about the burnt offering. Note how the animal was to have no defects and that it was for atonement for sin. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for sin." When they entered the tabernacle court, the first thing they came to was the altar of burnt offering. It reminded the people that they could not approach God without a sacrifice. The altar of burnt offering was on the east end of the courtyard, right after the eastern entrance. It was a hollow box made of acacia wood. It was a seven and a half foot square, and it was four and a half feet high. It was lined with sheets of bronze inside and out, thus protecting it from the heat. There was a grating around the altar, which created a draft and allowed the blood to flow to the bottom. The priest maintained the fire, which was to never go out. Leviticus 6.13 says, fire shall be be kept burning continually on the altar. It is not to go out. The bronze altar symbolizes the cross, where Christ offered himself as a sacrificial offering without blemish to God. For all of humanity, the sin question has to be answered. God is holy and cannot be in the presence of sinful people without consuming them because of his holiness. When Drew Hunter, our teaching elder, was speaking on the tabernacle, he put it this way regarding God dwelling with the Israelites. He said, "So you have either Israel with no God near, or you have God near, God near, but no Israel. Or you have sacrifices for sin. The only way God and sinful man can dwell together." So God set up a sacrificial system to cover the sins of the Israelites. However, the blood of those goats and animals did not really take away sin. They were symbolic of what was to come in Jesus. The whole earthly tabernacle taught humanity about heavenly realities. It is a symbol of God's home in heaven. So let's look at the diagram that's in our binder uh, of the tabernacle and note where these furnishings are located. As you enter the courtyard, the first item you would see is the bronze altar. Next, we come to the basin, which is halfway between the tabernacle and the bronze altar. Then we come to the tabernacle or tent itself. The outer area is called the holy place with the bread of the presence on the north side, the lampstand on the south side, the altar of incense in the center of the holy place. Then we have the innermost area, the most holy place, which contains the Ark of the Covenant. You see the veil, which separates the most holy place from the holy place. So let's take a look at how the tabernacle pointed to Christ. When you enter the courtyard on the east, the first item you come to is the bronze altar. It shows that the only way to approach God is through a sacrifice. It had always been God's plan for the sacrifice of one to atone for the sins of another. In the tabernacle system, it was the animals that died for the sins in place of the people. God is holy. He cannot be in the presence of sinful people without consuming them. So for the Israelites, God set up an animal sacrificial system for atonement of their sins. The tabernacle was pointing forward to something better. It was implicit that this system had to be replaced because the animals were offered over and over. There's this idea that there's something better coming. The bronze altar points to the cross. The cross is our altar, so Jesus died in our place. Jesus was the better and final sacrifice When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God has great wrath towards sin. That wrath had to be appeased. We hear the word propitiation. 1 John 4.10 says, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here are two definitions for propitiation. Atoning sacrifice, removing God's wrath. And a wrath-absorbing sacrifice. Jesus is the once-for-all final sacrifice that God accepted for all of our sins, past, present, and future. We know of God's acceptance because God resurrected Jesus from the dead. At the basin, the priests were constantly washing their hands, but that could not cleanse them from sins. Jesus' death is the perfect sacrifice that cleanses us who have put our faith in him. When God sees us, he sees us clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. As the priests did their work in the holy place, they never sat down because there was always work to do. Their work was never done. Jesus is the true high priest. Hebrews 1.3 says that after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God because his work is finished. There is no need for any more sacrifice for sins. In the tabernacle, there was no direct access to God. God. There was an invitation to fellowship, but the veil separated the most holy place. The mercy seat where God localized his presence was behind the veil. The high priest was the only one who could go into the most holy place, and he could only go in once a year, and he didn't stay there. The high priests had to continually be replaced after their deaths. Again, there is the idea that there is something better coming. Jesus was the better and final high priest. The veil symbolized Christ's body. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil, the curtain of the temple, the permanent version of the tabernacle, was torn in two from top to bottom by the Lord himself. Matthew 27:51 says, "And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom." and the earth shook and the rocks were split. By the blood of Jesus, believers now have direct access to God. The way to God has been opened. The tabernacle gives us a picture and helps us to understand all that Christ accomplished. John fourteen six says, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The tabernacle also reflects back to Eden where God dwelled with man and had perfect fellowship with Adam and Eve. It reflects forward to the new heaven and the new earth where God is dwelling with his people who have been made righteous in Jesus Christ. I'd like to close with the song before the throne of God above. I always have a moment of reflection when I see words from scripture or a theological concept that's in a song i think oh that's where the words from that song came from you know in this song it says i have a great high priest whoever lives and pleads for me hebrews seven twenty five says that jesus always lives to make intercession for us who made an end to all my sin hebrews tells us god will remember our sins no more Because the sinless Savior died, Jesus was the spotless Lamb of God who was the once-for-all sacrifice. And then in the song are the words, God the just is satisfied to look on him, Jesus, and pardon me. God sees us clothed in the righteousness of Jesus.